We are live, me and Jordan here. Um, Welcome to the Jajo Geo podcast. James is not here. <laughs> I'm, I'm Jordan. And I'm Giorgio. And this is Jajo Geo. Uh, we or are Giorgio now, I guess. Just Jajo, yeah. We are we are a podcast uh, for writers, by writers, made of writers, and we will walk you through some concepts and ideas about writing and then the fun little exercise at the end to help you stretch your creative writing muscle which is your which is your brain uh a little bit of an interesting episode today it's actually the end of the season uh james uh had other opportunities to pursue which we are all happy about and he decided to go for them and he will no longer be joining us, unfortunately. Sad face for me and Jordan here. Um, but we will continue without him. And if he ever comes back to Tampa Bay, we'll happily rejoin the podcast and maybe start something new. Um, but how has it been going for you, man? What Have you been writing anything new? What's your, what's your blog looking like in recent days? So I have hit what is um, known as the dreaded hiatus. I, I talked briefly about this. I finished out that mini series I discussed before in December. It's done. Nice little bow on that. It's all complete. And then I sent out a post saying, I need some time to make more projects, which is something that every creative person will need at some point in their career. I do strongly believe that for 90, 95% of us, we need some time sometimes to build more projects, more ideas. Yeah. And actually to, to tack on on that, it's interesting because I recently got into 3D printing and 3D modeling uh, as an engineer in nature. Uh, I feel like that was going to be that was going to happen at one point or another. But my creative outlet has transformed from writing and uh, more classical drawing to this more CAD focused uh, perspective. But uh, that doesn't stop me from keep an interesting aspect in, in the terms of writing and, and reading. And we wanted to continue this podcast. So in terms of writing, I haven't done a lot. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I have been trying to write like the point of the high of hiatus is it's for rest, but if, if you can, you're also you try to get some new ideas and work on some side stuff that you maybe been neglecting. So I took a look at some of my much larger scope stories so far and um it's been fun reading and re-associating myself with these stories i'm like wow what happens next and i get to the end i'm like right i need to write what <laughs> i haven't finished next. this <laughs> so um i'm excited for those opportunities these are these are the big projects because my blog had been very short form stories poems and these things files i'm looking at now um it's it's anywhere from like you know 50 pages in some cases, just 10, just different stories, different stages of the writing. And it's exciting. I'm getting kind of, um, it's just, you, you step away from something for a while. Like, you know, you move out of a house, you leave it for a year or two, you come back. It's familiar, but also it's, it's funny. You, you forgot about certain things and it's, it's a little reinvigorating. Yeah, yeah. It's alien. Well, that's, that's interesting. Uh, what kind of, are these always on the fantasy and adventure basic, like a uh, genre, or are they extrapolating into other, other fields, so to speak, in, in writing? Um, these are all, the world building is always like fantasy fiction, or just fiction for me. I have two main series I'm focusing on right now. 
Uh, I have one code named Occult Cyberpunk, and that's exactly what it sounds like. Ooh. It's a dystopian future where it's all post-capitalist technologist. It's all owned. It, money runs everything. I've, I, I always find it interesting. Everyone says like this post-capitalist view, but it's like, would it be any different if it was any other type of economic? I'm not sure. Philosophy. Would it be different if it was communist? And that's kind of what a little bit, you know, when people when when gamers and or you know modern uh, uh gamers think of post-apocalyptic they always think of fallout right mm-hmm. and fallout has this very big diaspora between the united states and the chinese that's the whole premise of the game and the united states obviously is a capitalist culture and the chinese obviously is a communist culture mm-hmm. very different economic uh perspectives yet the same conclusion it's still a post-apocalyptic world uh so uh, do you think that you have aspects like there are post-capitalism or is it just the near not too far distant future when things go awry and i'm guilty of enjoying the philosophical theme <clears throat> themes of cyberpunk in particular you think blade runner um and i think for me when i say post-capitalist i mean um it is in these kind of stories it's usually about giant corporations it's conglomerates think about wally you know by and large right yes these companies have gotten so big that they just represent they're basically governments at this point so for me this might be a wrong use of the word i'm not as familiar with the political and economic side of the term post-capitalism, but that's what it represents to me that most of life is dictated now by brands. Yeah. And as an American, I think that makes sense. And, mm-hmm. you know, we live in the United States where we have a few, uh, I want to say monopolies. That's not the right word, but a few cartels controlled by some, uh, by certain companies. Like I think Amazon and Walmart are like the two big, uh, po- poster childs of, of this, of this, of this, era we live in where everything is kind of driven by what they dictate even Mm -hmm. though they don't have in theory they don't have law or or any means of uh, uh, controlling their own people with that but they do because we all subscribe to them i don't think anyone in this room doesn't have an amazon account or an amazon subscription so we all are subject to their bylaws even though they don't have any technical force on them to us uh, so what what have you seen in this? Because you, you used to do like Sir Sir Green, right? Uh, yeah, well, Sir Sir um, Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. Yes, Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. Sorry, and uh, so you moved from this more medieval, I want to say, theme to a more modern, actually postmodern uh, uh, environment and theme. What are the differences and challenges that you found? in writing one versus the other because i mean both of them have been explored by different authors already but one of them has happened so to speak it's in the past and one of them is in the future so it hasn't happened yet so you could paint it with a little bit different colors or different accents that you would like have you found any challenges in describing one versus the other or any differences in the nature of like the time period Um, The form is certainly one of the biggest challenges in between the two, um, because for my Sir Price, which was a an homage to Sir uh, Gowan and the Green Knight, um, it is it has prose and it has poetry and it is paying tribute to these old styles that exist. And I do have to deal with um, existing concepts and uh, culture, uh, chivalry. Um, the existing ideas of Faye I pull in at one point, um, just old stereotypes, you know, the princess in the tower. Uh, there's a lot to go off of that 
has existed or just exists as an old trope with um cyberpunk in particular it's all it 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 falls under sci-fi and what defines sci-fi whether it's soft or hard is future um technology it's either they go hard and they try to theorize how actually physically it would work or they just go soft which is probably what i'll fall into and they just say it works like this. All this technology is black box. Isn't it cool how we can go light speed now? Don't ask me how. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it, the whole time travel thing. Like You don't want to mm-hmm. explain how it works. It just happens. Exactly. And it's a narrative tool to like kind of propel the story forward. Um, so do you think that anything regarding when I, you know, when I was listening to you comment about these two things, I was hearing a lot of, Hey, there's no longer the princess in the, in the castle. It's more about, so do you think that there's a, a basis for like an, a gender difference? Like the, the, the gender bias where the man is the knight and the woman is the princess is kind of dropped. Do you think that's one of the more, one of the biggest key points? Do you think it's all technology based? Do you think it's, it's also like a society? societal evolution where there is no such thing as gender bias, or there is still gender bias but it's not as pronounced and it both it can equally achieve what they want it's just now we are affected more by technology than we are by uh cultural biases or cultural stereotypes um i think definitely that we fall under our cultural biases I do think that throughout history, except for a few very notable um, authors and exceptions to this rule, most people are pivoting off of what is currently culturally relevant to them. So my idea of, you know, progressive um, or reductive storytelling for gender is going to be different. Um, There are people who break that mold entirely, forward or free thinkers. And I I do really enjoy those kind of authors you think about. Uh, Mary Shelley is the first one that comes to mind who just completely in a league of her own for writing and what she commented on (laughs) just so many topics with Frankenstein Um, just people throughout history do that so I it would be great if I could become one of those authors that is so far out of society that they end up being progressive a couple you know 100 years later but um, as it is I expect I'll just be one of the 99% of people who are just pivoting off of what is currently existing in my culture and timeline and either uh, when it comes to sci-fi what i notice is um especially with gender norms it tends to be either um a very far-flung progressive notions like um it goes into total equality where just um everything is just kind of smoothed over or it is uh, intensified as an issue um, or reduced. So you think of something like the uh, Handmaiden's Tale, where right. it goes backwards. Um, you think about, well, no, Star Wars isn't a great example because they are still, you know, there's no women in the Imperial Army that was kind of, it, it did also help identify them as bad guys, that it was all, it was very, it was a league, it was all men, there was no aliens, it was, it represented a lot of, obviously, um, parodying, they were basically space Nazis. Yeah, they, absolutely. And then the Rebel Alliance fascist. couldn't afford that, I, and they're more forward-thinking, so they have a lot of uh, female troops. Yeah, I think, I think Star Trek is the one that I think we yes. should look at for, like, inspiration in terms of gender, or gender uh, position in society, uh, in terms of a, a of the near not too distant future like everyone has a job and everyone can achieve what they want regardless of their gender yet there are some clear issues and biases that might come up because of one's gender not necessarily 
uh, affects them in a career sense, but it does affect them in a societal sense. It for me, it feels like alien the alien nature and the nature of different species ends up being a plug-in for a lot of different issues and it's always symbolic we haven't encountered any sort of what aliens would actually mean for humans so aliens become a stand-in for racism or sexism or all the others isms where um you look at the aliens and you have to figure out what the difference is and it usually especially with star trek which i love um how star trek handles most of that is showing how in most cases the answer is cooperation and enabling people to do their best okay so you you see that like but in your writing specifically There is no talk necessarily about gender biases. It's just kind of things happen. And the way you write it, at least, is more of like what gender norms are today in 2023 uh, and how you extrapolate that and like basically just adding technology to it and say, how would this affect society now? Is that a right term or do you think there's some further evolution in your writing that you haven't quite explored yet that you think you might apply? That's a good point. Um, it, for me, with the uh, prior work that I just finished, um, I would say gender themes don't factor into it at all. It's there are very few side characters, and playing into those tropes, I don't think was a gender commentary, more so just a reflection of those pieces at the time those and where they were firmly entrenched with just the basic completely fabricated ideas of the princess in the tower i mean maybe at some point there was some princess in some tower but there wasn't a dragon and who knows if a knight had to write it's just a trope but whether it's a princess or a prince in the tower was irrelevant it was just something that happened to a person it wasn't necessarily dictated by their gender this is true um so while i was looking to subvert a few of the old topics i was also trying to keep it in a way that you could feel like you were reading it back then um Now, with this future uh, cyberpunk story I'm writing, um, it doesn't, the societal flows and the culture is not so much explored so far on a human level. Um, I've pulled it out a lot more to examine um, just way, way more to meta horror in some cases. That's where the occult comes in. So at a, at a big level, it is um, some very tragically misplaced people with fighting against these big brands, big religion, and then actual demons and horrors. And it's this intersection of the, the four elements, humans, the fiendish corporations we created, um, these, a fiendish religion that comes along later on, which is um, not representative of religion, but it's like a combination of all the worst um, mm. parts. It, the theory I had, um, which is kind of, to me, in the same vein as these big fake corporations that come out in cyberpunk. I just threw a bunch of religions together and it's like the corporations to allow people to continue to practice their religions just gave them all one giant religion and they just made it an unholy ironically abomination and amalgamation of all those religions and they just said this is what you all are allowed to worship now on your one day off a week you are allowed to have so this is very corporate dominated brand of religion which is not really in the spirit of religion at all that's very interesting because in in dungeons and dragons they all 
uh, have this kind of united, uh, they united all the holidays into one holiday and they call it candle nights. Oh. And obviously it's supposed to represent, you know, Christmas and Hanukkah, uh, but it, it, it's more of an amalgamation of all the other ones. And it's kind of a, a unity not to disparage anyone or to kind of control the people just because they wanted to make it kind of PC and flatten the curve, so to speak, and make it equal for everyone. So it's like, okay, we have a holiday. It's candle nights. It doesn't matter if you call it Eid, which is uh, at the end of Ramadan. I don't know mm-hmm. if you knew this. Or if you call it uh, uh, Christmas, whatever it is, it's candle nights. And it, it, the spin you gave it is, hey, corporations understand that the people need the opium, so to speak, in the term to put it in Marxist terms, yes. um, and they give them this little, this little uh, hush puppy, and they call it. I don't know what what, what do they call it in, in your book? Did, does it have a oh, name yet? It, or it did, did have a name, and um, I am struggling to remember it was. It was something like the. Um, it has something like the one holy God or something like it, just very generic terms thrown into one title of a the, church. the father's day or something exactly. like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So it's, it, it's funny that you portray it as this very negative thing. Cause basically it's, it's an overgeneralization of what religion actually means for people instead of being, uh, and as opposed to that, uh, candle nights is this, kind of unity perspective but it's mm. at the end of the day it's the same thing it's it's, it's, celebrating it's kind of ironic actually <laughs> yeah it's um, kind of funny i, I like this I, I can respect the spirit that they might have been wanting to do that in to be included it's inclusivity but in this book cyberpunk it's dystopian yeah everything is supposed to yeah. be a tool of oppression religion is no exception so um i, I like that a candle what'd you call it candle, candle nights that's what i they like call it. that see that sounds kind of fun and i know that is ultimately if i'm correct wizards of the coast if they were running at the time it's they're still it's a, a product yeah. <laughs> they came up with a, it's a fictional work and it's creative and it's great and i do like that theme but if it's being used to sell stuff then it kind of <laughs> that's fits. what the it shoe is fits, you know it's just for money oh yeah. no it is post post-capitalism mm-hmm. everything dies I, down to post-capitalism How a huge D fan but yeah in the end i recognize that if it's not homebrew it's a marketable product yeah so. i'm how unfortunate uh well okay so you, you finding you're trying to find yourself in this more uh in this new theme that is more cyberpunkish um personally i am finding myself more as oh you know i write for utilitarian purposes i i've been writing a lot of more code now than i have in the past Mm -hmm. and so i'm kind of you know when i when i unplug from my work i'm just tired of sitting in front of a screen with a blinking uh what do you call what is that name of the of the little uh line that uh, is on the word page that's like blinking at you when you were supposed to write the page. I forgot the name of it. That's is it the cursor? It ha- uh, no, the cursor is the actual arrow that points at stuff. But but you know what I'm talking about. I think I the do. listeners understand as well. I, I didn't know that had an actual name. It does have a name. That, I'm I don't curious remember. Now. I'll uh, have to look it up later. I, I don't know what it is. I'll look it up on my phone now. But okay. yeah, I, I'm you know when you when you look at your computer writing very technical writing, which is. I specifically write Python, which is basically broken English. Mm. Um, it it, it kind of drains you of your ability to write any other words when you come out of it and you just kind of want to sit back and do nothing or experience the real world instead of sitting down and writing, which has happened, has helped me with uh, some more creative outlets, which is a 3D drawing and stuff like that. And 
that that's been really cool to do. And I think what I've been trying to pursue was what kind of, what can give me inspiration to make right easier. And it, it wasn't about, cause the difficulty was to get back to that screen, get back to the place where I could sit down and write something that was creative and something that was fun because writing can feel like a chore. And a lot of times it is, especially if you have a deadline and you have writer's block and stuff like that, it, it can really feel like a chore, but if you can make it into a game or something fun, then suddenly you're willing to do it more voluntarily. And what, has helped me is actually Dungeons and Dragons speaking of that and I've encountered a group and you know our adventures are completely randomly generated because each care each person has a character and there's a dungeon master of course and everyone has their own input and that drives a narrative in sideways or straight ways and ways that you couldn't imagine and suddenly at the end of the night voila you have a story and I was thinking, how can I novelize this story and make it actually about my character and his adventures in various Dungeons and Dragons groups and his va- various quests that he might pursue? Obviously, Dungeons and Dragons, as opposed to your cyberpunk theme, is more themed in the, uh, I want to say, Lord of the Rings era, even though there's no script era. It's yeah. the medieval times. It's there's no medieval fantasy. Yeah, there are some guns. There are some stuff, but for the most part, it is swords and bows, etc. And so we are stuck in that surprise uh, kind of uh, uh, timeline. But uh, it has helped me find an outlet that would allow me to write something that I was interested in something that I knew a little bit about because I just went to that D and D session. So I know what happened. Um, uh, and it allowed me to kind of go back to the screen, even though I was dreading it. Cause I spent, you know, nine, 10 hours on it, writing technical code instead of doing that, writing it in a more creative outlet, so to speak. So that was a lot of fun. And I think that's something that it might help our listeners understand like, Hey, Writing takes inspiration from real world aspects. And if the real world is not giving you any feedback, try and go and meet other groups of people. Because at the end of the day, when what I learned from Dungeons and Dragons is that the most precious asset you have as a dungeon master is the characters that play with you. It's not the world you generate. It's not the gods that play in your, in your lore or in your pantheon. It's the other people that, add their randomness to it, add thoughts and ideas that you never thought about, add uh, perspectives that you couldn't think of. And that gives you different, ins- uh, different, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, inspiration to kind of pursue different types of writing and pursue different types of uh, storylines and kind of help you navigate this world of where you're like, I'm stuck and my ideas aren't flowing. Well, other people's ideas and run with those instead uh, and i'm actually happy to hear that you're moving into more cyberpunk genre because that helped me kind of navigate okay what kind of genres can could i what kind of what kind of themes can i draw what kind of themes can i draw from cyberpunk and kind of input into my uh into my lore to make it more interesting to make it more dynamic to make it interesting not for the reader necessarily but for me the writer and make it more easy for me to write about something to me to make uh to make you know that deadline of writing 10 pages a day or two pages a day whatever it might be have you ever had um writer's block and if you did obviously i'm assuming you did because everyone does but what were what was an easy thing for you 
what was an easy technique for you, uh, Jordan, to kind of get over the rider's block and continue riding? Like kind of me, like, I don't know about you, but I like to set myself goals and deadlines just because uh, not to meet them necessarily, but to keep track of my progress. And if I don't meet a certain goal or deadline, maybe there needs to be a change of technique or a change of uh, scenery or a change of anything to kind of help me pass through that. Have you had any encounters with that? And what were your techniques? Mine were envisioning other people's opinions or perspectives and kind of use those to write something. So for me, my experience, writer's block tends to come along with a lot of other feelings of being stuck or in a rut. And what I have found helps, and this is advice you'll hear in many contexts for many um, goal accomplishment, but set aside a space or an environment just for this task. And this applies to any sort of habit building you want to do. Um, I, for me, it's coffee shops. I enjoy writing in coffee shops with other people around, um, it, and when I'm in that space, it's not hard to write at all. Um, but, and it's still novel because I can't go to that spot all the time. So when I do show up, it's enough to shake out whatever cobwebs are holding me back with stories, but worst case scenario, um, sometimes it's good to have a couple different plates in the air at the same time. So whenever you are stuck on one project, just take some time to work on another. Um, I think it's especially, especially great if you can do different um, types of creative outlets entirely. Your coding, for example, is a great example of something that if writing was just getting you frustrated, um, you can maybe move into coding. Um, if coding is still too similar, you have your 3D printing, uh, you do some smelting sometimes. Um, just the idea yeah, of the block. Just be- <laughs> I forgot yeah. I actually have yeah, a smelter. You, you, uh, you smelt. <laughs> um, I haven't smelt. <laughs> you haven't smelt in a while. I haven't um, smelted in a while. <laughs> but uh, just that idea that when writer's block, I think the, one of the a, a not very productive way to tackle that is just to brute force your way through. I've been guilty of that. It works great for school papers, but when you're trying to make something meaningful to you, you know when you're not putting out your best and when you're just trying to BS your way through a section. So if it's not working for you, especially if it's not your job, why make yourself do it? This is supposed to be something engaging and fulfilling and building for you. And if it's just draining you and frustrating you, go take your energy and don't waste it there. Put into something else for a bit and then circle back to it. Find, find another thing to leap off of, get a snow, get the ball rolling in a different lane and then jump back into writing and see if you can use that momentum to break through. That would be my advice. Yeah, and I think that's really true, especially for school and work deadlines where you feel like you have uh, the clock watching you and you're under the gun and you don't know what to do and you're kind of stuck and you spend, you know, like, I, I don't know if you've seen that famous SpongeBob episode where he has to write a paper for driving school What's of all SpongeBob? places what is spongebob <laughs> oh lord here we no, go no 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 uh, yeah I, i'm familiar uh, with yeah, drawing he, giant letters the giant yeah. The, mm-hmm. yeah yeah some for some reason spongebob has to write a, a thesis about what not to do at a stoplight and he is uh he has writer's block he's stuck and the best solution would have been and he watches outside the window and he sees patrick and all his friends enjoying a, their afternoon and he's stuck inside and the solution to that would have been go with patrick go outside enjoy your day and then come back and you'll see that you'll be reinvigorated and find something else but 
speaking of school papers and being under the gun for work, um, sometimes that's about luck though, right? Sometimes you pull things out of your ass to be mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. And it kind of works out. Uh, I think, uh, every time I think about that, I think of the guy who wrote, uh, the, and I'm jumping around, but, uh, I think about the guy who wrote the, uh, theme song to, uh, the map from Dora, the Explorer, who I imagine, you know, I don't know if you ever heard about I, that song. I've heard that song it's many times. Like, oh, you I'm a map. That's yeah. the entire song. And the way I imagine it is they ask the guy about the map song and he completely <laughs> forgot and he just made up i'm a map and yeah. everyone loved it so sometimes it's about luck and it, hap- it has happened to me in coding actually recently where i wrote a line of code i had no idea what i was supposed to do i press f5 for those of you who don't know about coding that means run code and the code worked it spit out it spit out the answer i was expecting and it worked on multiple levels that's scary though <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to coding you're like oh no it worked it worked i don't know <laughs> why and then i tested it in different ways and it still works so i just submitted it and everyone was happy because mm. i'm the foremost expert in the office but um what, what did your comments say on, uh, on my code yeah oh, how did yeah. you explain it <laughs> I, I wrote like research why this worked later <laughs> just kind of moved on because i had a deadline so but but that's kind of the point like sometimes it comes down to luck right sometimes it's all about what kind of fortune you have that day and how lucky you got at delivering what you were supposed to and have you had uh you are a writing major yes. have you had any of those encounters in terms of like you had a paper due and you weren't really excited about the paper let's say and you wrote something and it worked out and it came out to be an a and you weren't really expecting i see you smiling that's I know you been have my an entire example. college career <laughs> <laughs> every paper i submitted felt like dang this isn't gonna do great and then it was just a's um for me it was I really feel like, and everyone's brain works different, but I kind of envision it with writer's block. You're you're on a you're on a road, and it's just dead stop traffic. You can just sit there and wait for things to slowly clear up on their own, but you're just wasting a lot of time, or you feel like you're not moving forward. But like the drivers who know all the side and back roads, then that's kind of where I take it at. I. When I but sit you there, don't know and the side roads. You're I, just, you don't. You're, you just take the exit and happen you know you're heading north and happenstance it is that it was faster i'm the kind of person who would rather it to feel like i'm moving forward i would probably be better losing a few minutes going a different route so i can feel like i'm moving forward instead of sitting in the route that the gps says is maybe a little faster in a dead stop so you would rather take your chance take your chance i want to keep momentum no matter what so for me when it comes to writing if i get stuck on something a section it's very haphazard, but I jump around. Like if I get stuck on a section, I jump around to the other section and I just, I keep going and different spots and I will build my paper from different foundations as I go. So it, it's chaotic. It's not maybe the most refined way, but editing, you can always edit later. You as long as you're edit. writing something that's else. That's the beauty that's also giving of recording you... the podcast. And exactly. <laughs> always edit later. So, <laughs> so uh, speaking of, of, of luck, though, uh, I, I encountered, I don't know if it was on Reddit or something. I encountered one of the questions of the day on Reddit. It was one of the most upvoted views or voted posts. And it said, what would you do if you actually won the lottery? Here in the United States, the lottery is going insane. I feel like in the past year, we've had record lottery winnings. Mm-hmm. More than we ever had before. And I think there was like 
some kind of change in the rules about the Powerball or whatever have you, regardless, uh, irregardless, rather, what I wanted to ask you was if you did win the lottery, and this is kind of a sidetrack to kind of spin okay. off, what the question that Reddit's uh, high post was, what would you do with the money? Regard, don't, don't worry about debt. Obviously, all of us would extinguish that if we had any the moment we won the lottery. Maybe obviously, but you should. Uh, but what, what would be the first thing that you would buy if you won a significant amount of money on the lottery? Hmm. Prop. I think house would probably be. What you would I buy a house. Yeah, yeah. You would buy a house. Yeah, it's an investment. In Tampa Bay, definitely buying a house. You would need to win a lottery at this point. It's funny you refer to Reddit lottery thread in particular because i have saved on my phone a an essay someone wrote from a reddit post years ago on what to do if you win the lottery so that people won't hound and harass you and ruin your life and possibly murder you over your winnings so they talk about how to set up um i think it was a trust and then not telling people and then getting very good at learning how to say no to literally everybody and like setting aside very reasonable yet also limited gifts for family and it goes over all the aspects to protect your sanity and winning the lottery but that's not the fun answer I was that's not the for. fun answer. <laughs> fine if you ask if you, you hand you, me i mean you're you're a humble guy you're not a guy that likes i mean I, I, maybe i'm wrong but you're not the kind of guy that would go ahead and spend you know half half a billion dollars on a yacht or something like that i don't think you'd be interested what what would you spend the money on what would be something that you would truly interested in and say hey you know what if i had the cash i would definitely do this and continue it i'll give you a prompt i'll give you an example of what i would do for i would probably start a company of some sort probably a non-profit Hmm. where i will willingly lose money just and hire people and pay them wages that were paid you know in california or in new york as opposed to florida so they could actually afford a home now and the nonprofits guideline will probably focus on energy, although on clean energy, although I'll probably focus also on legal representation because I have a sister who's an attorney who worked for a nonprofit uh, defending uh, women of immigrants who were being, you know, mistreated and uh, abused by their partners, but because of the fact that they were illegal immigrants, they weren't able to pursue um, any legal actions in fear of being deported. So I would pursue like stuff like that. That's the thing I would like to do. Um, and I would probably lose money in the con- in the process, but because I'm a cajillionaire, because I won the lottery, it fundamentally doesn't really matter. Obviously I would pay off my debt. I will set up my trust fund so that my kids would have money and all that kind of stuff. But when you win a kajillion dollars, you have leftovers. So what would you do with the mm. leftover? What would you do after that? And I'm looking at my engineer also trying to get some inspiration from him. He He's nodding no, saying he doesn't know what he would do. <laughs> oh, he knows. He knows. He doesn't want to say it, maybe. He would buy apartment complexes and rent them to maybe some low income and some high income. So make it kind of equitable. Uh, I, I can dig that. I can dig that. We need some low income with high income. I do work for a developer, so I do understand that. Uh, what about you, Jordan? So you just think? wild, crazy uh, pipe dream. So I do work at a library and I do enjoy a lot of the merits of information sharing and um, <clears throat> that kind of human conglomerate of knowledge so i do enjoy things such as wikipedia but i also think on a local library level um it would be very funny to set up uh a rival a rival library system that would just be like 
Um, it would have to still not be profit or motivated because that would just ruin the whole point of and it. But not. if you're going you're for just the whole pro- thing, it would be fun to just say this is the this is the kind of stuff um, that just make it fun and like uh, modern and just like going uh, out, all out with just funding like the coolest, chillest, hippest. Hey, kids, come, <laughs> out of the come library. read books. <laughs> we set up a you know some sort of e-sports thing. We have normal just some sort of. Gi- reinvigorating community spaces. I think that would actually be even better as a purpose for that, but just creating those areas where people can just hang out for free. You don't have to buy a coffee to be there. You don't have to, you know, just all the things you don't have to spend money to exist. I I like that a lot as a person who was born and raised in Europe where a lot of things are free. Like we just, you know, I mean, and that's because of the, the benefit of being born in a country that's, you know, thousands of years old. So we do have buildings that are government funded and government sponsored. So they're completely free to the public yet. They're incredibly cool, you know, cathedral or whatever. And you don't have to be Christian to go in and observe and enjoy. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be Catholic or you can just go and enjoy it. I, uh, you know, <laughs> a side note, I drank beer as an illegal minor on the steps Ooh. of the largest Gothic cathedral in the world uh, and, and the second largest Gothic cathedral in the world, which are, um, what's the statue of limitations on that? Well, <laughs> are these so Italian Milan, police going to come out? No. Know? So Milan has no. a statue has Milan's age for drinking beer and wine is 16. And then for drinking liquor is 18. Oh, that's interesting. They distinguish. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Hard liquor is 18 and that's across Europe. And then special, like metropolis have 16 for beer and wine so paris milan london berlin all kind of fall okay, okay. in that category where if you're 16 eh. and also like it's also a question of policing right like mm-hmm. something's illegal until you get caught so to speak so it, no it is illegal for to drink outdoors technically I've never seen anyone be stopped or arrested because of it while being in Europe. It is the case here in the U.S. But uh, I'm not saying that we should sponsor public drinking here in the U.S. I, I do agree, though, that there is there is a lack of that community freedom where you as an individual who doesn't have the means necessarily to buy, you know, uh, I think there was a famous South Park joke where it was or it was an episode where it was uh i think stan didn't have any money and cart uh cartman uh, cartman yeah cartman and the others were like hey you definitely need to spend eight dollars and fifty cents in order to have fun that's mm-hmm. just the rule and I, I do like that's one of the biggest conflicts i have with moving to the united states where you do have to spend money some amount even though it's small you do have to spend money to go somewhere even going to a park you have to spend money for parking in order to go to that park it's a theory or a concept that i believe is called the third space um i might be wrong on that but it's this idea that but you go to work and you go home but you need a third space where you just get to commune with people and that's not that's not kept away from you by like a pay uh, a pay to enter, you know, yeah. you can't, some people can afford to go to like a Starbucks every day, but mm, I think for a lot of us can, but it's also like, do you want to, like, That's it's, yeah. it, 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 it's, I, a, it's a lot of money spent on it's kind of like things. downloading the app, right? If it's mm-hmm. free, everyone downloads it. But in the moment it costs a dollar, you're like, uh, do I want to, I mean, a dollar, everyone can achieve that. Probably even mm-hmm. a kid who can sell some Snickers bar on the side of the street or something to make a dollar, yeah. but will they, it's a huge obstacle 
at that point in the moment it becomes there should be no barrier to entry is like the idea be between no these communal spaces there should so. be no barrier so well if i could blow money i'd be like uh carnegie and the way that carnegie built up the libraries in the first place i'd come in and i'd be they're like okay i'm going to drop all these like weird community spaces in here and you all have fun with that and then i guess die <laughs> hopefully you have enough money saved up on your mm-hmm. account to progress that after your death mm-hmm. um so I, in in kind of in the theme of luck the reason i brought up luck is because our our read the prompt this week is number 180 which is roll of the dice uh jordan i believe you're the usual one who reads these prompts do you want to take over that for our finale would you like to read it Oh, sure. I'll read it. Okay. And so number 180, a roll of the dice. Despite all of our skills and efforts, sometimes life simply comes down to luck. Whether you're trying to win a game, land a job, or find a significant other, there's no sure way to know how it will work out or or how good your luck will be. A twist of faith sends you catapulting into happiness or your luck will sour in the blink of an eye. I think this is the reason why you usually write it. <laughs> read it. <laughs> but if you can't push through bad luck, you might f- just find uh, you can change it. So this week, we want you your rabbit. Uh, we want you to get your rabbit's feet and your four leaves clover ready. How are you feeling, lucky? Wow, I really butchered that. Uh, this week's prompts: Number one, write a story that hinges on the outcome of a coin flip. Number two, start your story with someone having run of a bad luck. Uh, number three, write about someone losing their luck charm. Number four, set your story in a casino. Number five, write about someone whose luck is running out. Hmm. So I like the first one just because a coin flip is an introdu- it's an introduction to chaos. It's not really about luck necessarily. I guess luck is chaotic in nature. What are your thoughts? Hmm. I like that because it's very inherently a... um Well... What I envision is the coin going up. The story happens over the span of the coin going up and going back down. You get maybe a couple flashbacks as to what it's about, and then the result is and is delivered. Yeah. So actually, the thing about the flip coin, and one of the reasons why I like it so much is because I use that as a decision factor. Like when I'm in decided about something, and it's a binary decision. It's either A or B, yes or no, or what have you, ones or zeros. Mm-hmm. I flip a coin and I don't flip a coin so that the coin decides, but I flip a coin because the moment the coin is in the air, my feelings and my gut feeling instantly goes for A or it instantly goes for B. And that's the moment I know whether I have to, I should choose A or B. Which do you pick more? Well, heads the, or tails? <laughs> I always picked heads. Your heads got me I too. Mo- I almost always picks heads because the first one is a 50-50 shot anyway. But the reason why I do it is because regardless of whether it's heads or tails, I know what I want when the coin is flipping in the air. But back to the story. So we have a storyline. The main character flips a coin. Who's the main character? Hmm. Who's the main character? Let's say Zorro. 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 This person's parents really liked the movie and named their child (laughs) Zorro. (laughs) They really liked the mask of Zorro. Mm -hmm. And they said, hey, you know what? We're hippie enough. We're going to call her a son. (laughs) Is it a son? Yeah. It's a son. Okay. It's a son. So we call her, we're going to call her child Zorro. So Zorro is flipping a coin and he has to decide uh, whether or not to take the boat. 
He has or of train. He has to take this mode of transportation and leave. He has the chance. He doesn't have the ticket, but he has the chance of taking or leaving this plane, this train. He the train is, is about to leave. He is hitching a free ride on the train. He has no ticket. He's just going to jump onto the train because it is now taking off and he sees an open car. He needs to decide. And he, he knows it's dangerous. He knows it's reckless. He knows he can get caught. But he has a lot of, he was highly motivated to jump on this train with no ticket. He has it's the last nothing train. to gain. Not, no, he doesn't know what he has to gain because the train, who knows where the train might lead. But he doesn't like where he is now. That's why he's sitting at the train station debating whether or not to take this train. He has a chance. He looks at the train. He doesn't know what to do. He's undecisive like my, like myself sometimes. So he takes a coin and makes the coin decide for him his fate for him. He flips the coin. Why is he running away? He is running away from Is he running away? Hmm. I think he is his parents. His overbearing parents who put a lot of expectations on him. Zorro. Who named him Zorro with the idea that he would be a person of greatness. So Zorro, here is Zorro with these high expectations by his parents. He's in old Spain. Uh, in in romantic Euro Spain, eighteen hundred Spain before the fascist movement, before the movie <laughs> came out. So the movie was named after him. Okay, okay. <laughs> I drank too much to be on the podcast. You're good. You're uh, good. <laughs> so he's in eighteen hundred Spain. His parents named him Zorro, even though they haven't read, they haven't seen the movie, but they might have read. You the know, book. it's just a common Spanish name. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about Zorro it. Is Mexican? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> So okay, so Zoro, Zoro, this I'm assuming he's a teenager. He's a coming of age person. He his parents are overbearing. He has he has expectations that he needs to meet. He goes to the train station every Saturday afternoon. He goes to the train station because he lives in this tiny town in the middle of nowhere between Madrid and Barcelona in Spain. It's a desert area. There's not a lot of growth there. And he needs to decide. He has. He can go to Barcelona. He can go to Madrid. His parents want him to go to Madrid to pursue school, school and uh, education to become something bigger than he actually is. He has he, a college lined up there. He has a college. That's lined what up. ticket in his hand is for the train going to that college. Ah, so he's at a train station. There's two trains leaving. There's it's two trains leaving. There's the one directions. he is supposed to go to in Madrid. Or the opposite direction, Barcelona, where the Catalan movement is growing and the independence will. Where someone may be waiting for him. I don't know. Maybe he has a girlfriend over there in Catalan. Maybe he doesn't. Nobody knows. Um, he does. That's the side that he does. I'm, okay. I'm looking okay. at you like, yeah, quizzically. Okay, he does. What? He has a girlfriend. So he is split between the decision of pursuing education and the track that was laid before him by his parents or rather to pursue his love life and whatever chance and luck might bring him. So he has a safe choice of going to Madrid and having a college education for four years and his path is laid out. Or will he take his, will he chance it and take his luck and go to Barcelona? He flips the coin. What is going through his mind as he flips the coin? What anxieties and what relief comes from flipping this coin? What do you think? All of his hesitations, he entrusted 
more than hesitation, I think he just realized fear, fear of the unknown. And he was relying on the universe, chance, odds. He's he's very into mathematics. So he trusts cold logic and chance a lot over his overbearingly and overbearing and emotional parents who are very driven by emotion. So he he throws this up thinking about chances, but behind no matter how logical a human is, they're still emotional. So he throws up because he's scared. He doesn't want to go left. He doesn't want to go right. He tosses it up, but he realizes as he's tossing it up, really in that moment, he realized what he's actually hoping it will land on. Kind of like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why I football the, the The release of the coin is a release of the uh, uncertainty. And he sees a clarity as it flies up into the air. So maybe the coin is more of a, it's more of a tool that he uses to find out why he's he's making this decision and finding out what his decision, what his feelings truly bring him to. He was raised by very emotional parents. And as a counterculture, all his teen years were about, hey, my parents are very uh, emotional, so I'm going to be very logic and statics, uh, statistics based, which is why he was so prominent in his statistics knowledge and his math knowledge, which is why he was uh, he entered into Madrid University. Pardon my ignorance mm-hmm. of whatever university good is old in MU. Madrid. <laughs> good at MU, um, but he doesn't feel right about it, and he he's uncertain, and so he relinquish it. He relinquishes this responsibility of choice. He abandons his choice, and he gives that choice to the coin instead of himself. It's not my responsibility. It's the coin's fault that I choose this, and that's why he flips it. But in a moment that he flips it, he realizes what he actually wants. What is going through his head to make him decide what he wants? And obviously this all happens in like split seconds, right? A coin flip only takes a couple of seconds max if you actually flip it really hard. But in his mind is like all slow motion. It's a status base. It's a flurry of irony upon irony. The thought that his parents are encouraging him to take the safe, reliable path to college. That that's what he should be doing. He's doing statistics. It's the logical thing. But what's holding him back now is, ironically, this emotional desire to go be with his friends with this counterculture revolution that's happening in the opposite direction that he has no cash for, no preparation, no backing. He would be abandoning all the logical parts of his life to be an emotional, to make an emotional decision, which he's been running for him his entire life. But again, we are at our heart emotional creatures. So lifting that up and feeling that intense desire and hope for something, he realizes that maybe his parents weren't entirely foreign to him anymore in their intensity of their emotions. He realizes, yes, he realizes that his perspective of things was wrong all along, or at least in the past, in recent history, he was always numbers driven, statistical driven. And then he realizes, I don't know what choice to make. The most logical choice is what I should be taking. I should be taking this train to Madrid. Yet here I am flipping a coin, wondering what I should be taking. So here he is 
invoking his emotions as much as possible, trying to get an answer from his emotions as opposed to getting an answer from what's the most logical choice. Going to pursue Barcelona, the party town where his girlfriend and all his friends are, or going to Madrid where his future is pre-written. Um, do you think, w what is his name? Do we have a name for this gentleman? Or oh, Zoro. Zoro. We discussed this yes, already. Zoro. And I am... <laughs> <laughs> so Zoro is feeling quite a ways. I think the brilliance of this, I think the brilliance <laughs> of this coin toss is it doesn't matter what it lands on, and he's smart enough to know that the minute he launches it. He right. It doesn't matter because the moment he launches it, his emotions will drive in one way or the other. But isn't there gonna be a conflict inside of him? With between his logical nature and his emotional nature, we know that the emotional nature is going to come full circle and kind of decide for him. I think we're peeking into a moment where he has had that turmoil in him on the way here for the past few days. He's standing on this track. It's come to a full fruition of turmoil inside him. This is a release of a pressure valve. So the turmoil is being settled by this coin toss. There's no more debate in his head. It's just up in the air. And the debates are silenced and he has, he's had his flashbacks. He knows what led him here. He knows what his parents want. He knows what he should want. And he knows what he actually wants. This type of coin flip is an incredibly personal moment, I think, right? Nobody knows why he's flipping a coin. Everyone around him, nobody in the universe knows why he's flipping a coin. He's the only person that knows what the outcome of this coin toss will actually mean. And that is an incredibly emotional decision, though it is completely based on statistics. It's mm -hmm. a 50-50 shot, or well, well, that's probability. It's a 50-50 shot, yet he doesn't abide by the shot necessarily. Do we know what the coin flip is? I he, feel like we shouldn't. He, he thinks back to times when his parents would, whenever he was wanting to pick treats and such, and they were like, oh, we got these two. And they would want to do the coin toss and they'd be like, sure. And they would always let him call it because ultimately they didn't care. They just wanted him to be happy. And he realizes with this coin toss, he throws it up. He calls tails, but he doesn't actually need to know what it lands on. And so the coin lands on the pavement and he knows it lands the, the the ringing sound of the coin not, of the no. metal hitting the floor resounds on the train station, and it's relevant what the decision is. Yes. Zoro knows what his decision is, and he stands up and takes the right train. Yes, we don't know what that train. We don't is. know what that train is. We don't know what the coin reveals. We just know that someone used a coin to make a decision in a completely incorrect <laughs> way. <laughs> the logical the logical prodigy is actually using an emotional his emotions to make a decision and does he ultimately use his emotions to pick the logical outcome or does he use logic or is he following the emotional path or the logical path he the reader doesn't necessarily need to know but it right. gives them ideas about we are learning about why we make decisions. It's kind of like the ending of, oh, what's that movie? Inception, where the, the- The little thing is spinning. The, what is it called? Dreidel, I think it's called. Uh, is that just a Jewish tradition? Uh, <laughs> You're thinking of the, yeah. Um, no, well, they're called uh, tokens, I think, right? Uh, I, I think they call them tokens 
in Inception, but the the actual spinning like spin top. top. Yeah, it's a top. Yeah, we don't we don't know whether it falls or not. We don't know whether DiCaprio was in a dream or not. Um, and I, I like those endings. I like the endings where hey, you the reader don't know what's going to happen. You don't know whether or not it's A or B. You just know that something happened and the decision was made. And it seems like Zoro was comfortable with his decision. He was decided, he was driven, and he wasn't he wasn't as confused or rather ambivalent when he entered a train station to where his destination was going to be. He he stood up with um with certainty and assertiveness and he walked to the right train we don't know what that train is we don't know whether he's going to barcelona or madrid we just know that zorro made that decision and often with these kind of questions it is sometimes more important just for your reader to want to know what their answer would be more than what the character decides doesn't it doesn't matter in inception's a great example does it really matter as much what DiCaprio's character thinks is happening or is it you as the viewer who wants to know and decide is are they still in the dream or not you're witnessing the event you're making decisions based off it so we've given all this information and now the reader gets to decide do they want Zorro to get on the university path or do they want him to go to this revolution and the revolution is exciting but then you say well what would you do and you're like would you abandon a very profitable, like stable lifestyle to go join a revolution? So do you think uh, that's a cop out a little bit for authors to say, hey, you reader decide or rather we leave it ambivalent or is it like an artistic kind of movement saying, hey, the fact that you don't know actually adds to the storyline and makes it more. Uh, more interesting for you, the reader or viewer, what have you, uh, to actually look at it as as a writer yourself. What would you say? I think this falls into territory of you need to be good at what you do. If did Andy Warhol just put multicolored pictures of soup on a painting, or did he <laughs> very create a very so? No, if you go out there and you paint a can of soup and you say on the next day, you know that's not going to work. So if if you do it either way do it well and yeah it can be a cop-out if you use it as a cop-out but i think it can be done very well and it shouldn't and this is where it gets vague there are like very solid elements to writing a good story but you can mess up every step of the way you can invent some new twists and turns and it's like this is why beta readers are very important too. There is no, I can't give a surefire advice and say you should not do this or you should do this. It's more like a, why are you doing this? Are you copying out of the story? Do you not know what Zorro, you as the writer should know what Zorro is doing. But if you choose to withhold that from the reader, is it because you think your story is stronger as an ending? If the reader is being pulled and forced to make their own decisions on it, or are you just afraid of how the reader will be disappointed in Zorro? It's it's something that you need to, I think, have a strong inclination towards as you're heading towards that ending. If you had it in mind and you get to the ending and you say, nah, actually, I think it'd be more fun if it's ambiguous. But if you're writing the whole story and you have that decision in mind and then you say, well, I've put all these pieces in place. The reader should know which way Zorro is going. I'm more curious what the reader what they want to do, what they want to go. 
but that's a different narrative. That's engaging the reader. That might even call for a fourth wall break. There's lots of different ways you could go with this. But you're right. That would, do beware of it being a cop out, I think, because um, it very easily could be. So it's more about like how good are you at styling this narrative? I'm, I'm, I'm curious now. Which train do you think is Aragatan? I think, okay, so leaving it as a cop out, and I'm interested to know also in your decision, I hope mine doesn't sway in any way. I think that Zoro flipped the coin and realized that his, there's what I want it to be, and then there is what my life example brought it to be. So I had a similar decision when I moved from Europe. I had to choose, was I going to move to the U.S. and pursue my engineering career, or was I going to stay with my girlfriend and my friends in Italy? And I chose to move to the U.S. because I realized that I can always fly back. I can always visit. I can always do all these things. And if I knew this ahead of time, I would have realized that I'm probably not going to go back. I, I did visit Italy a lot of times and I have seen my now ex-girlfriend a lot of times. She's mm-hmm. actually getting married soon. But, um, and, and I'm happy to see them often, but my entire Italian life completely ended the moment I left the country. And what I, so based on experience, I would say that Zorro took the train to Madrid to go to school and pursue his life because he knew that that was the societal correct answer but in a narrative sort of way i feel like zoro abandoned his statistical reasoning the moment he decided to flip a coin and he decided and he would have instead decided to pursue a life of the unknown and abandon his logical thinking and take the train to barcelona to visit his friends and to live with them pursue an adventure rather than the safe choice which is maybe <laughs> you've, you've made the safe choice a very profound ending though imagine all that drama all that emotion and he flips the coin and he makes the same decision that most of us make consistently throughout our lives and he just realizes it's just a fancy i have all these things stacked here this is the known path and i'm taking that but that's what i did yeah that's what I did as a, as a person in yeah, the real world. That's what, that's what most people do. These, I think most people would make that. I mean, how many times does do people run into these situations? You know, someone's like, hey, you want a free ticket to this, this you know, something here? And you're already going to your job. And you're like, do I call out or do I just go to this random concert this person's shoving a ticket in my face for? I think most of us would say, I'm sorry, I got to get to my job. Um, That's very true. So we have this, and this, this is many more times multiplied. This guy's throwing his life away to go on this, join this revolution. But plenty of people have done that too. Not maybe in our current era and culture we're in right now. We don't have any active revolutions to abandon our jobs for here in the U.S. What would you have done if you were in Zorro's place? You Mm. had this comfy job. See, and, or a comfy life track, let's say, where you had your school paid for for the next foreseeable future. Once that ended, you probably would have a safe gig in the capital of your country and, and all that. Or would you have joined a possible revolution, which uh, we know now hasn't happened? <laughs> or, uh, but you would have been with your friends 
with your uh, partner at a time, who knows if that actually yeah. planned out and everything. It's a big risk, right? Because you don't know. You don't know if your friends pan out. You don't know if some of them chicken out or something, you know? This this story here now, you and I, even though we're writers, we're also readers of this now. We're, we've dragged our personal histories into this decision. Of course. And that's why it's a good, that's why that ambiguity is really great. Even if we just leave it as a possibility. So the reader is like, what would I do? What is my history? I've made that decision before too, in so many ways. I did take the safe path into college. Um, writing is something that I've specialized in since I was in middle school. So a writing degree in college where I, I worked for scholarships, it was just, it was simpler. Had I gone off to travel abroad, which something that people told me I should do and it would be good for me and I just never got around because it was scary and new. And I did not do that when I was younger. Now though, now I am 10 years, I'm coming up on my 10 year anniversary for uh, high school graduation. I am a much different person. I think actually <laughs> I I could very well, if I jump myself back into the past and I saw those trains, I'd be like, screw it and jump on that train. But do you, do you say that, you know, so me and you kind of agree on the same path uh, where now looking back, we might've chosen the more chaotic world and, but in real life we chose a safe path, but, that's because we sit in our comfy chairs. It's true. Safe path. And we're older now. And we're when older. you are 18, 19, making the decision, you have much less to lose. Right. So we have a bias, right? Mm -hmm. So do you think, do you think that's the actual path or do you think it's just a bias that we see? I think it's not, I think it's wishful thinking on my part. I, and right now I like to say that I do that. Probably I like to not. call myself a coward uh -huh. and say that I should have pursued my life with my girlfriend in high school. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I, 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 you know, it's nice to think of what could have been. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that going back, even if I repeated history a hundred times, I probably would have chosen the same path. Um, my life in the U S is much different. And I think that Zorro, I think Zorro's life's choice will, will still be unknown. I think it's a good, I think writing wise, it, it's a good ending to leave it unknown, to leave it to the reader to doubt so that they get to have this kind of conversation and this kind of thought process and mental gymnastics. But I do think that realistically life is, is such a gamble and it's very difficult to choose A for B when A is so safe. Um, so in short, be cowards. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's there's not a lot of great stories in the guy who slowly builds a um a reasonable wealth through dedicated hard work at his company and then retires early. That's not exciting. The exciting choices <laughs> You know, those exist in fiction. But exciting more often. life is so scary. Yes, it is. You have to be willing to lose everything to yeah. make your life the most yeah. exciting. Yeah, maybe that's why we're here, sitting on chairs, reading a podcast instead of actually doing something. We are the revolutionaries. <laughs> so, what an interesting journey was this podcast, huh? Yes. This is the first podcast I've ever recorded. I think it's the same for you, Jordan. Likewise, if we're not counting like a student project in high school, which I don't because it was awful. So That's we're just counted. going to say <laughs> this is my first. I don't thing. think this is particularly better than your student <laughs> project, um, but it, it was a journey. I, I really enjoyed it. I really liked talking with you and James about writing. Uh, I am 
I regret, I do have regrets. I think living without regrets is kind of insane. I think life is about regrets because it's about choices. Mm-hmm. So you always kind of miss what you didn't, what you don't do. But uh, I do regret not being able or not having the energy and drive to write more so that I could uh, bring more to the table to this podcast. But I think that uh, being part of the podcast actually gave me so many ideas and so many experiences that I could not have thought about beforehand. And I'm saddened that James, uh, uh, in a very egotistical way, I'm saddened that James left, but I'm happy for him because he does have a big opportunity outside the country that he should pursue. And I actually, uh, pushed him to pursue when he brought it up to me. Um, but uh, I think James was one of the main drivers of the podcast, and he is one of the reasons why we actually met. Mm-hmm. He actually is the reason yes, uh, that we all met. Uh, and uh, I, I think that... Uh, James is someone who jumped on the other train. James, James is someone James. who jumps on the other train. <laughs> James took the you train. You and I take the train to university. We James went to has Madrid. consistently taken the train <laughs> to the other. <laughs> James thing, went so. to Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> I, I too am going to miss James. And you're right. James has been uh, instrumental in facilitating this. You've given a lot of good um, insight and uh, contributions to our, especially story building, um, because. Sh- Tools need to be sharpened, even like creative minds. So it's really helpful just to have someone to butt ideas off of. Um, you and James and us, as a three dynamic, we've created stories. They're not written yet. I mean, someone can steal them. We can hey, write them. take them all. But if you guys, um, if, Mario fan fiction, <laughs> go ahead and take that. Uh, we, we've, if uh, my my per okay, uh, real uh, just a spur of the moment. Of all the stories you remember, which one is your favorite? Ooh. Whether it be joking wise or serious wise, the Mario one makes me laugh the most. I was quite taken with the Mario <laughs> because it's just so stupid. Yeah, uh, the uh, uh, Zoro was interesting, though I haven't had the time to mull it over. Uh, I think my favorite one—I don't even know—we gave him a name. Was the name was the one of uh, the pilot that was oh. in the stratosphere uh blocking out the sun for some reason i don't even remember yeah, why it was polluted world uh, right was a sci-fi one. Yeah. it was a sci-fi one but this the fact that it was so contained i'm a very big fan of what i call claustrophobic mm. uh meaning every the whole story narrative is is within one room or one location oh okay um i don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh the sunset limited and it was one of my favorite movies um i haven't but i want to know okay shout out to the sunset limited a lot of people have not seen this really famous it's not i don't i'm surprised it's not as famous as it is uh it stars is it a foreign film no it's not it's an american film it's an american film it stars samuel jackson and uh oh man uh robert lee jones uh you know who robert lee jones is he is uh oh man oh man i'm very bad with names um what did he do? So uh, Sunset Limited, does it all take place in one train car? It takes trains. Uh, it takes it takes place all in uh, Samuel Jackson's character's uh, apartment. Oh, so, okay. Uh, the Sunset Limited is a train. And uh, let me see the cast. I'm pulling it up right now. Tommy Lee Jones. I say Samuel Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones and Samuel Jackson. Uh, uh, they are in oh, Samuel okay, Jackson's okay. apartment. Samuel Jackson is a uh, 
Uh, he is a um, janitor for the school, and Tom Lee Jones is a philosophy professor at Harvard. Hmm. And Tom Lee Jones is about to commit suicide on the train. Samuel Jackson saves him, and they ended up in Samuel Jackson's apartment at like 2 a.m. in the morning and just talk for four hours before the next day about life and God and what have you. And w- it's a very slow movie. It's all set in one room, and it's literally two people talking about stuff that doesn't really matter. Uh, but I, I really love that genre of movies where it's all compact and kind of introspective and intellectual in that sense um so that's why i think that pilot uh storyline that we talked about with james uh is one of my favorites uh i do like the the luigi fan fiction luigi and mario fan fiction one we wrote about uh really just the fact that you took it in a um very serious satire though because i was just expecting it to be a name and then all of a sudden i'm like hearing turtles and mushrooms i'm like oh i couldn't believe he went with mario (laughs) like of all the italian names james mario and i was like are you serious i can't stop it was a beautiful thing in the end though it's so funny the 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 metaphors of and then the literal turtle man that came from the end of stem turtle stem cell research yes it was brilliant i i think it'd be hilarious it was uh, brilliant and dumb in so many right ways it would be a good short film yeah yeah and i and i'm happy i honestly this whole just want royalties please if you make it don't don't (laughs) give us anything don't listen to jordan i'll give you carte blanche on everything anything you guys want from this podcast take it and run with it and and, you know enjoy it as much as you guys want we have our own lives um don't fret though me and Jordan will be back with something probably in the near future we'll figure something out we have some plot some plans that we're working out um and yeah uh I don't have much else uh to contribute to this writing podcast where I wrote almost nothing um yeah well we we didn't really write much for this overall so (laughs) it was Um, always improvised yeah this is an improv baby (laughs) oh yeah so uh we hope you've enjoyed the format and we've hoped uh across our episode you've learned maybe a couple things about writing maybe got some inspiration um as georgia said um look for other projects from us in the future but uh for now this is going to be the end of season one of the jojo geo podcast um i'm jordan my name is georgia And we hope you have a good time writing. Thank you very much. (laughs) 